It is time once again for that program, the one you recognize immediately because it has no music, no commercials, no jingles, no apparent talent, and certainly no agenda. Coming to you from the Curry Manor in the affluent suburb of Surrey, known as Guilford, I'm Adam Curry. And I'm John C. Dvorak, coming to you from the less than affluent suburbs of San Francisco, California, <laughs> Northern California. I'm John C. Dvorak, like I said a minute ago. At Dvorak.org slash blog. Hey, my friend, how you doing? Okay. Yeah. Hey, I, uh, I I think I have the setup even more stable today. I'm I'm happy. I'm yeah, really, you really told happy. me you blew it up. That's why it's more stable. <laughs> yeah, of course. Whenever you blow something up, then you can figure out what needs to be done. I can now even uh, uh, go to like a web page, like a YouTube page, and it uh, and I can play it and record it. So uh, anyway, who, who cares? I'm happy. I'm so happy it's working. Who well, I thought we were going to do the show earlier, then I found out you were out shopping for a suit. Yeah. No, I wasn't shot. I said to you, I'm picking up a suit. Let me tell you what happened. My wife is so smart, John, as most women are, of course. So I, what, in that she got you out of the house? No, check it out. So I came home uh, yesterday afternoon around uh, one o'clock from uh, the San Francisco flight. Would you fly through the night? And I have to say, I, I slept a couple hours. So you know, I felt reasonably good. But, you, you know, basically you, you lose a whole night somewhere and you, you get pretty tired. And my wife, man, she opened the door and she looked good. She, you know, she dressed up and, you know, like this black outfit that was really, really sexy. And, you know, so and then she fed me and she gave me tea. And and then, of course, uh, she made up for two weeks of me being away. And then she said, come on, quick, throw on your coat and we're going to go buy some suits. (laughs) (laughs) How can you refuse at that point? Right. It's like, uh, okay. so I'm walking. yeah, you know, going. Yeah. I'm just asking. When do you wear a suit? You're not a suit person. No, I. Well, um, you didn't see it. I wore a suit to to Los Angeles. Uh, Ron and I went there for a for a week. The reason why is because I'll buy a suit and I go up and down and wait very quickly. Uh, and you know, not that you really notice it, but right now I've uh, I've definitely. Lo- In fact, I lost so much weight that my uh, my wedding band slipped off my finger and is now gone. Uh, that kind of sucked. Um, but all of a sudden, at, at Ted, what kind of a, wait, 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 what kind of a fluctuation are we talking about here? One twelve to one fifteen. I go from um, forty to just suit uh, suit size uh, jacket forty two. I was forty two. Now I'm forty, and uh, my pants, uh, my waist is thirty six. Huh? Yeah. All right. Well, so it, it, so anyway, okay, so so, it, so she had done all this pre-production. She had already picked out what she wanted. She had already Ted Baker's where um, is where she had found something, and she had already worked with these guys during the week. You know, measuring and thinking about what would be right. And so I walk in, and literally, you know, it's like try this one on, try this one on. Okay, we're going to go from a forty-two to a forty large, a uh, forty long. I'm sorry. And uh, boom. And all that had to be done was just the seam needed to be, you know, obviously on the pants because, you know, they, they come at a dozen, you know, full. You don't get a 40 length. extra long because they do have an extra long. No, no, I don't need it. I needed the, the long was just perfect. So it was literally off the rack. Remember, I was complaining that that was so hard it, and I, you know, I was so happy and all they had to do is just, you know, take the uh, do the seams on the pants. And so that's why I picked it up. But, you know, Patricia was so smart, you know, get him while he's vulnerable and schlep me out to town <laughs> to go and buy suits. Didn't have a, was there a collar around your neck? A co- uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks. 
<laughs> Thanks. No, 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 no. Hey, by the way, you know, you flew in the Heathrow, and are you familiar with the fact that the uh, that, that they just opened this terminal in Beijing? That's the world's largest building, and it's the size of all the Heathrow terminals thrown together, and was built in less than four years flat. You're kidding me. They, they've they've taken that at least that much time to build Terminal Five in the UK. Four years, and it's the world's largest terminal. It's two miles long. That's like Denver. Well, Denver's not quite that big. No, it's not I mean, two, not two miles long. No way. But there's a. Uh, I, I posted a bunch of videos on the dvorak.org slash blog for people who want to check it out. You might have to look it up by the time you get to it. But the uh, uh, it was just astonishing. I mean, it's just amazing that they. Could, and the reason Four is because years. I was in China like 12 years ago, and I was at the old old Beijing airport from the communist era, mm-hmm. which was a horrible place. And then they built a new airport. Now they're building it, and then, and then since then they've built another new airport. I mean, these guys are, are killing us. Where was the airport that opened up? I It wasn't Beijing, but it was in Asia somewhere that um, from day one completely failed. Everything was messed up. I was reading oh, about that. that's the Japanese one on the island. It was on some kind of yeah. landfill, and it keeps sinking. It, well, it wasn't. It wasn't just that. The logistics of the um, uh, the same thing kind of Denver had when they first opened that the bags. I think, I think were it's the Japan. System. It could be Japan. Yeah, I don't really recall. Um, no, I did. I was not aware. Four years seems really freaking fast, man. Yeah, and it's and the thing's gorgeous. Well, reason for a trip, I guess. Road trip. Let's go. <laughs> we can yeah. get some. And by the way, I can tell you this much: you can get a suit in China a lot cheaper than you paid for that one from Ted Baker. I don't what, care if it was, it was not get, that expensive. It was very, put, very inexpensive. Actually, oh, what's what's inexpensive to you? I bought two suits and uh, two shirts for uh 700 pounds so uh about 1500 1500 bucks that is not expensive i don't care where you are that's just not expensive yeah, it's not cheap no it's, it's, not, no, it's not cheap but it's not uh, you know it's not like armani where you're going to wind up paying four or five thousand per suit and, yeah, and, you and you're right i don't wear suits enough to to even justify that to myself and i hate it i hate going shopping my wife usually buys stuff brings it home she keeps the tag on i tried i have to do like a, a fashion night yeah. Yeah, see, that's more work than actually going shopping. I like to shop. I'm like one of those males who likes to shop. Uh, who's not gay. <laughs> I, well, what, here's what here's what I, I I get into it though. So what I'll do is I will almost come. Be, I'll become very flamboyant, you know, because Patricia makes me walk. Her. She's down on her knees with with the with the guy, you know, like putting the pins in the pants and making it just the right length for the boots, and she's really into it. And so I'll sashay back and forth, you know, I'll do the whole model thing. I, that's the only way I can really get through it is to kind of make fun of, fun of it. And then it's, it's partially enjoyable, but I'm not, uh, no, I'm not a shopping guy. I really am. It's hard when you travel. My, my experience is that when you travel a lot, and I always am stunned by the amount of business travelers who don't adopt this policy. When you, but I always, when I travel, I always rent a car, except in a couple of the big cities. I don't rent a car in New York City mm-hmm. or Paris for, or London. But I will, I'll rent a car in Boston. Right. But I always rent a car, and then I, I hit the road if I'm not in meetings. Uh, I don't stay at the hotel. And then I, one of the things I do is I go scrounging for things to buy. <laughs> Oh well, uh, I'm I'm not like that. Uh, I'm but you know until I met you, I was also not a guy who really went out to eat. First of all, because I have no one to go out to eat with. Yeah, that's another thing I try to do. I you know I try to find when I'm traveling, I try to get somebody to go 
hit one or two of the trendy, trendier restaurants in whatever city I'm in. Mm. And, I, and I have some pretty good contacts in the, uh, in the food reviewing industry, if there's such a thing. And so I can usually get like, you know, these places and, you know, find out what the place is that's going to be written up shortly. And I can get in there before they uh, get their ratings. So about that, maybe we should just uh, talk briefly about our, uh, our dinner, um, which I thought was a great one we had. Uh, was it uh, Wednesday evening? Yeah, we went to uh, Rubicon, which I haven't been to for a while. And um, they used to have a, uh, and we talked about this, we, they used to have a, uh, and by the way, Rubicon's quality fluctuates a lot. And I thought the meal was quite good, but uh, yeah. I was disappointed that they don't have their their old wine sommelier, Larry Stone, anymore. And instead they've got some pretentious character who I didn't, was not. Yeah, that guy, that guy was kind of, kind of dorky. He was uh he he would have been good for the tourists, but definitely not for a for professional eaters like us. Yes, for sure. Uh, <laughs> and I I wonder whether what his real knowledge base is because he didn't seem to respond uh, appropriately to the things. Yeah, because one of the things you people should know is when you go to a uh, if you want to get into wine you have you know you have to understand where these sommeliers are coming from and you essentially what you do as a customer is you test them with with knowledge that you have and, and are not just have but are intimate with to see what they think or to, or to see how they respond as as kind of a a test to kind to of see, to set know, a a baseline okay this is where yeah, this then guy you can see is if the guy yeah. doesn't knows anything right right uh, my my favorite sommelier uh, ever was a uh, in terms of uh, blowing me away sommelier is uh, is the wine guy for those the who wine don't know guy. the wine dude <laughs> the wine the wine guy the, the wine, wine waiter yeah, the wine they waiter. sometimes have pins and they sometimes have the thing some of them are officially some of them have degrees in it some of them are just faking it but anyway there's this guy that was a French wine sommelier at the uh, at the uh, a restaurant in New York City called City Hall, and it was, and he was very knowledgeable. And every time in everything I was testing him on, he would top me. Mm. He, he knew what I was talking about, but he would always beat me with, uh, "Well, if you like that, then you'd like this kind of thing." And it would always be something I didn't know. Right. So he. So I had chosen a wine, and he says, you know, if you like that, you should get this. And he just found one that was actually better and, and I think, the same price or cheaper. Have they done and that I, yet in, in wines? You remember they used to have perfume where it would say, if you love Giorgio Armani, you'll love this? Do they yeah, have that in wine? Yeah, some elements of that, but it's all so subjective that it doesn't really work. Uh, although I think there are certain styles that people like. Some people like the big wines and some people like, you know, thin fruity wines or whatever. And I think you can kind of, and some wine lists actually have categorized instead of like, I don't like the type of wine list. I like a wine list that just gives me the area. You know, is this a Bordeaux? What part? I can find the wine pretty quickly. The other, they have seen these wine lists that says robust yet fruity. Or yeah, yeah, screw that. Whole, that they have a whole bunch of these, you know, I've worked with guys like that, you know, give me some information about the wine. That's the way I feel, but I think some people like the idea. You know, people that don't, don't that don't know anything. Anyway, so this guy topped the wine. This guy in France, this French guy, and and I mean, he gave me a wine that was just much better than what I was going to get, and I was just impressed. So I, you know, trusted him after that. So he comes up at the end of the meal and he says, "Would you like some after dinner drinks?" I said, uh, "He says, what do you like, General?" I said, "I'm a cognac drinker." He says, you don't like grappa? And this is coming from a French guy, and grappa really? is, 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 is Spanish. Italian. Yeah. No, it's isn't Italian. Span- oh. No. I'm sorry. So Italian. it's, it's, it's anyway. So he said, I said, no, grappa. It's because uh, my experience with grappa until then, this was a while ago. It's nasty. Was, it tastes, 
it's yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, it tastes like paint thinner. And I, <laughs> with and with that's bits what I said in it, to him. <laughs> with and orange says, bits. Oh, the guy says to me, "Oh, really?" He says, "Let me give you one, and then you tell me what you think." And he brought over this astonishing grappa, grappa. and it actually changed my whole attitude toward it because there is. There's a it, unfortunately there's so many different ones, but there's a there's like this layer of extremely delicious grappas that it's undeniable how good they are. And this guy, the fact that he turned me on to it, and I've since found other places that also have good selections, including this little place over here in Berkeley called Ecolo. They have a good selection of grappas. Uh, that it just changed my attitude completely about the paint thinner thing. So what I like about um, having dinner with you is, you know, first we kind of decide on what we're going to have, and then we really talk about. Okay, well, we really. Talk, I mean, I listen. You talk, and you look at the look at the uh, at the wine menu, and then you know, okay, what's going to work with this meal? Which is, you know, obviously the way to do it. And um, this was outstanding. We actually we had two, we had two drinks. We had wine, and then we had an Armagnac after that. But the the wine, what was it again? Because of course I don't remember. It was a uh, Domaine Dujac, uh, one of the uh, the ninety nine combats, and um, it was most it was, excellent. It, it, yeah, I, no, I had the uh, I had the baby man. ribs, and it was uh, oh, the combination was stellar. Yeah, that that was a little expensive, but it was good. The uh, but but now we're talking about it on the show. That the you know the benefits are uh, obvious. It's a tax write off. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> it's done, taken care of. I can't wait to explain it during the audit. I love doing that. This is all part we of the show. We only go to restaurants for this purpose. <laughs> We have to start calling the show No Agenda, but a little bit of talk about wine, and then we can write wine it off. Food. <laughs> wine and food. And then afterwards, what did you have to, you had lamb, right? Yeah, the lamb was killer, I have to say. It was a nice piece of lamb. Yep, it, it was uh, Oregon grass-fed lamb. It was a, it was very uh, wet and it was perfectly cooked. You know, they have at that restaurant, the restaurant is co-owned by Francis Coppola, I think De Niro, and a couple other Italians. That just And it was done a long time ago. In fact, there were... Uh, but it's not really an Italian restaurant per se. No, it's no, it's, it's, French it's a cuisine. continental style, yeah. you know, uh, fusion, not fusion, but uh, Mediterranean, uh, eclectic California kind of thing. Yeah. And they keep changing chefs, so the menu changes a little bit. But that, it's, you know, it's the same name as Coppola's Wine Company. And um, he uh, took the wine steward, apparently, to the wine company, Rubicon, uh, up in the Napa Valley, uh, which is where he really puts most of his efforts nowadays, um, which is kind of a disappointment for the restaurant because this new wine guy just doesn't seem to have no, any no, no, no. I think skill. It, the um, the waitress we had I liked very much. She was from uh, Spain, right? Yeah, she was very pleasant. They, they have they have a good wait staff there generally. Yeah, yeah, and in fact, it was kind of funny because here we are with what did it cost three hundred bucks this bottle of wine? I think. No, no, it was two twenty. Two twenty. Oh, okay. So we and and you know the the wine dude, better known as the sommelier, uh, you know, came over and we get the you know and go through the here's the cork and I love the way you know, like you pick that cork up like <laughs> slap it back down like right? none of this fancy schmancy stuff just okay it's not rotten that's clear. And he had it in, um, what do you call that thing, that uh, holder? That oh, he had a cradle. Cradle, like yeah. One of these crappy looking things, which I detest. And we're like, take it you out know, of the cradle, man. It's going to fall over in the cradle. Just put it on <laughs> the table. 
Well, the thing is about, you know, I've always found the, the pretense of this, of the whole scene a little annoying in, in restaurants that aren't, that don't really have the chops for it. I mean, this place has got, this is a typical in California restaurants, you run, especially these trendier places. They have paper tablecloths. They got a tablecloth <laughs> underneath, but there's a piece of paper on top of them. Chez yeah. Panisse is the one who really popularized With crayons this idea. so you can draw on it. Well, you know, a lot of these places are, you do a lot of business deals yeah. in these places and yeah. people will write out business proposals on, on these, the table, on this paper, giant yeah. piece of paper and rip it off and take it before with they leave. <laughs> I know. I've done that myself too. <laughs> but, but that, that kind of thing to me is not telling me that I'm at, you know, uh, a, uh, a three-star Michelin no. restaurant in Paris. I'm at no. a place that's, that's, you know, almost a bistro, even though it's not quite, but in fact, the, the style of food, if you, if people like to go out and eat and they go to Paris, they should go to a place called uh, La Procope some day, and that's a, uh, a one of the oldest bistros still in existence. I think it was built in the 1840s. And, and that's in, in Paris. Yeah, it's and it's a and it's a it's a very famous place. Mm. As I think it's Paris's oldest bistro, but as a bistro, it gives you a good feeling for what a bistro restaurant, a bistro style restaurant, is really all about and what it's like. That's what this place is like. Yeah, and it's it no nice. more and and anything more than that is pretension. And that's why the wine cradle thing doesn't do anything for me because yeah. what does it do? You've already sloshed the wine around. It doesn't have to be sitting around at an angle. Yeah, just stand the bottle up on the table and let and, the patrons go away. Pour it when and, they feel like and it. go away. Thank you. Let us pour it. Exactly. Much nicer. I mean, I don't mind guys who pour it if you're in a restaurant, a really great, like say the Ritz Carlton in San Francisco has a really uh, attentive or Florida Lee. They have an attentive right. staff. And so, yeah, they'll pour it because they will keep an eye on your glasses. And so if you finish off some wine, boom, they're over there pouring yeah. it. But most of these places, you know, they want to pour the wine, but they're never around when you're out of wine yeah, yeah, and you're yeah, looking yeah. around for the bottle. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and let's face it, you know, we're not there to impress each other. We don't want to have sex with each other we're just there to enjoy the meal and the drink so the cradle is just out you know so we we made, we made the waitress who was a little reluctant to do it because i guess this guy this a little, a little reluctant stickler. she was like no 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 we can't oh no i should not do that come on take it out take it out oh i cannot take responsibility <laughs> so and, and then after the meal um now i was pretty much good on uh on the wine and uh and you suggested uh you know, a cognac. And it's like, ah, you know, I'll have some coffee while you have the cognac. And he said, well, let's have an Armagnac. Cause I said, you know, con the cognac's like just a little too Bernie for me, a little too jet fuel, uh, type of uh, effect, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so you just said, let's have an Armagnac, which I don't think I've actually, I'm sure I've had one at some point, but I certainly can't remember. Well, if you've it. ever been to France and you had an after dinner drink, 90% of the time it's an Armagnac cause that's what they drink there. Yeah. Which is much smoother, much nicer. Well, not necessarily, but then cognac was, no, because I've... it was a 1900. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally a, a bottle from 1900. Do you remember the name of it? Uh, no, I don't. I, I'd have to look it up. We kind of, we kind of, we kind of chose it just because it was from 1900, right? Which is like, well, oh, well, we got to have that. Actually, when the guys came up with it, and the thing was, he was wrong about the whole, I said, is this actually a vintage 1900? Because in Armagnac, they make, they make vintage, uh, spirits as opposed to cognac they tend to not to so much they do it once in a while but not too too often but anyway so they make this vintage armagnac and they do it mostly for people who want to buy one from their birthday or whatever and they get pretty expensive when you get older yeah. and um 
anyway, so this one, and I said, is this really a 1900? And the guy goes on and on with some cock and bull story about how, well, it's kind of like, like average. A, you know, there's some stuff older <laughs> and some stuff newer, and it's like a Solera. <laughs> and he's describing a Solera, which is a mix of things that happen to have a date on it when the Solera began, which would be a, the way they do in Sherry. And I'm thinking, I never heard anything like this. This doesn't sound right. But I you know we got it anyway because it wasn't that expensive. It was cheap. So we got a couple glasses of it, and I asked to see the bottle. So they bring the bottle over, and the bottle clearly says it was distilled in 1900. 1900, so, yeah. So what he said was all bull. And and then, but then of course the cool thing was there was this little. Um, there wasn't enough to get another glass out, and so we're talking about it. And the guy comes over and like, oh yeah, that's really good. And said, but what are you going to do with this last bit? I mean, how are you going? You know, who are you going to sell that to? <laughs> So I think I got like fifteen dollars worth of free Armagnac when he, when he yeah. Then he dumps it in your glass it instead of splitting it between no, he gave the you two nothing. of us, which galled me to no end. Yeah, that was that was wrong. But he but he knew who was paying, John. Oh, he didn't know anything. <laughs> he didn't even know what the, the distillation date was or anything else. He was just making it up as he goes along. He had no clue who was paying. Hold on, let me get Bobby on the phone. Bobby De Niro. Let's have that guy fired. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby, it's Adam, AC, and JC. Got to talk to you. Uh, um, hey, I wanted, to, even though that we have no agenda, I took some notes because I've been just uh-huh. messing, yeah, messing around the house. Actually, something happened last night which really irked me. This falls into our shoddy journalism category. So I'm, I'm, you know, after this enormously uh, taxing day I had. Um, and I, and I literally, I didn't just fall asleep after that watching TV. I passed out like, you know, see, and you know, the difference when, when <laughs> why fall asleep when you can pass out, I mean, I instead. passed out, it, you know, like my neck just went Bleh. and my wife has seen this now. So she's not, no longer alarmed when my head like tilts back, like I'm dead. So she knows, you know, so she might check my breathing, but I was, um, I was just passed out. So we go to bed. And all of a sudden, you know, my, you know, everything, all my alarms start going off. And with that, I mean, you know, there's text messages, there's, uh, you know, stuff popping up on my, cause I, I, um, I took my N800, I usually take my N810, put it next to the bedside in case I want to check something like Google something to get the answer for a game show. Um, and, uh, what that is ha- so nerdy. I am. Now what had happened is um, and he, uh, actually, I should have. I, I could probably send you the link. Silicon Alley Insider. Are you familiar with this pack? I know the guy personally. Yeah. Uh, let's see who wrote this. Dan Frommer. I don't know him. I know the guy who runs Silicon Alley, though. Okay, so Silicon Alley came out with a uh, the news, and uh, and it's actually from directly from the AP. So the AP writes, Akamai, the, uh, Akamai wins limelight patent suit, $45.5 million. And I'll just read this briefly. Akamai Technologies says it won its patent suit against arch rival Limelight Networks. The AP reports, Akamai said jury uh, in the U.S. District Court of Massachusetts ruled Limelight Networks infringed uh, a content delivery patent asserted by Akamai. The jury awarded Akamai $45.5 million in damages plus interest. Akamai said it plans to ask the court to issue a permanent injunction prohibiting Limelight from continuing to sell infringing devices. So, um, by the way, that the, the idea of infringing devices being sold means it's not necessarily about their core um, content delivery network business. I'm not quite sure what it is. And then, so here comes the uh, editorialized part that Dan Frommer wrote. 
I didn't said, know they made devices at Limelight. They make a device? Well, this is my point. So it's it's about, it could be, I don't know. If they're making and selling something, and it's clearly not necessarily their core CDN capability, but who knows? But Dan Frommer writes, If the verdict holds up, it would be devastating for Limelight, whose shares are down almost 40% in afternoon trading. Last year, the company lost $24 million on $66 million of revenue. And if the judge issues an injunction against Limelight, it might have to shut down its network. And what happens is, and, and this play, and, and I'm going to get to your blog, uh, to your Market Watch column in a second, because it all has to do with this. So what happens is, this gets blown out there. Um, into the blogosphere, but this really happened on Twitter, which is probably even worse. So the first thing that happens is <laughs> is everyone saying, Pacho is going to, you know, Pacho will be fucked if these guys, sorry to say that, but that's literally what was being said. Pacho Why does Pacho, what's Pacho got to do with ah, this? Ah, because our delivery network is Limelight. Oh. So, with, so, you know, Limelight, by the way, they're much younger than Akamai. They only and started... And by the way, yeah, and by the way, it would be so hard to switch. Wait, oh, this is... Wait, let me get the story out, of course. So, you know, they're much younger. They're a bunch of radicals from Arizona. We like these guys a lot. You know, uh, we get a good deal from them. They really work with us. You know, it's a tough business. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, so we, we stand by partners like that. And so, you know, we... We sent out, well, first of all, so what ha- what's happening now is now people are posting blogs and, you know, Podshow will be fucked and here are all these other companies that will go down. And it'll su- so what happens is all our producers get in a, you know, get freaked out. They're like, you know, do we have to start changing URLs? Oh. And, <laughs> and right, I'm like, producers, oh, my You have like thousands God, of producers thousands, all these thousands. shows. And they're all antsy all the time. Yeah. And so they're freaking out. And I, and I can understand, you know, they don't know what the hell is going on, but they do, everyone they knows. He's spending too much time listening to Twitter feeds <laughs> rather than doing the damn shows. <laughs> you are now in charge of programming. Congratulations. <laughs> so... Um, you know, so uh, Al Shavit, who uh, is our um, SVP of engineering technology product, you know, he of course had spoken to Akamai, uh, Akamai to Limelight, and they had said, "Well, you know, yeah, yeah, we're disappointed. It sucks, but we're gonna, you know, we're gonna go back and uh, we'll, uh, you know, we're gonna work on it. But no worries, you know, n- nothing to be afraid of. And of course, it's true. I mean, you don't have when this type of stuff happens, you don't have to sign a check the next second. You know, then you're not gonna turn your fucking network off within three days or something. And by the way. Your point is so well made. It takes us about five minutes to switch to any content delivery network we wish. Any anyone we could, you know, anyone. And in fact, we you know we've always had it set up that way for very simple reasons. Sometimes you want bandwidth that may be uh, cheaper because you can take it from another provider for some streaming exercise. I mean, you, this is how you run a business, right? You never want to be locked into one provider, and you certainly don't want your URLs have to change. So anyway, the point of, of the story, and then I'll lead into your market watch column about, uh, about Google is, you know, because of the, where I said, you know, the, doesn't the good stuff pop up to the top and doesn't all the, you know, don't you get to the, the real truth? It is, you know, these guys, they won't live down this going dark business for at least a year. Cause everyone will be saying, Oh, these guys are so screwed. And, and even when I posted on my blog, at curry.com um, exactly what the status was even in the comments people aren't even reading just saying oh man it's always the little guy who gets screwed because all the little guys are on limelight and it was unbelievable how how poorly 
informed people are and how quick it was it was literally Twitter crap and uh, society of spectacle baked into one. And it really, really irked me. Well, yeah, well, it should. But the problem, of course, with you being you might as well get used to it because this kind of thing is getting worse. Yes, it is. In my then it's then better and it's going and which is one of the kind of the, the whole internet thing is creating this i've always believed this was happening from the beginning where you have the democratization of everything you end up with a mob uh, mentality just kind of uh, all over the place pile jumping panic pile and they, they're jumping. still suckered by hoaxes and it's unbelievable so let me lead into your into your because actually um i was so wired you know and i tried to, to tap it out on the on the n810 you know but then something went wrong with the javascript and in, in a google group or whatever and so i had written all this thing painstakingly in the dark and then it got lost i'm like fuck so I went upstairs and now, now I'm awake. I'm going to type it out on the computer. I'm going to do, I'm going to do a blog post, right? So I'm up for an hour and I'm like, oh man, I can, now I'm wired. Now I can't sleep. And uh, so I listened to a tech five. I hear you talking about your market watch column about Google and it's exactly the same thing. And let me just set it up and then you can correct and take it from there. Um, Comscore, which is a, um, a company that has a panel based um, system of tracking uh, unique visitor. They do. They track a number of things, but they're really a a type of Nielsen for the web in more than one manner. One because they use panel based um, and not you know don't rely on stuff uh, web webmasters have installed as a toolbar like Alexa. So you know, like it or not, you know, you can like the Nielsens or not, but that's the rule. That's what's being used because that's what Madison Avenue uses. So we live or die by the Comscore numbers. Everybody does, including Google. So they came out with a story which um, was about the decline in click-through rates, a study decline in click-through rates that Google was having, and a whole bunch, actually a couple of different places, I, I don't know who really started off, I'm sure there was one like Ground Zero blog that drew the conclusion that Google is going out of business. And this, <laughs> and this spiraled, you know, into, you know, after hour trading of, uh, you know, a market cap being chopped off by 15 billion, you know, a lot of stuff. And, and it got so bad that they did something which I found absolutely amazing on the Comscore weblog, the CEO and, co- and co-founder uh, went into detail explaining what this really means to Google, uh, which I think is kind of out of the ordinary and, of course, draws up a whole bunch of questions about, you know, why would they do that other than someone saying, hey, dude, you know, the interpretation of your data just chopped off $15 billion of our market cap. So would you mind like explaining this shit to somebody? Um, uh, but yeah. it, um, it 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 it. First of all, if you do the research and take a couple minutes, you'll see that these, well, yes, the click-through rate may have gone down effectively. What they're making, what you can make on a, on, on, on Google's AdSense AdWord system is probably more effective and generating more cash. Um, but I'm just amazed by the zeitgeist now of online advertising is in trouble. It's all over for Google. You know, it's not going to work. And you kind of had written about some of this uh, on your market watch blog and I just thought I'd bring it up to you well I wrote about uh, I actually made the conclusion that uh, Google's in good shape 
Yeah. Uh, but, it, and by the way, it's a column, not a blog, even though now that they allow comments, which has just become, a, I think, is a mistake because I think the publication does it. The comments are, are useless, generally speaking. We don't get, uh, the, for some reason, at least the commenters that I've been reading on Market yeah. Watch oh, are just, they're just a bunch of snipers. They're just like, yeah. you know, the typical ankle biters that, you know, that are Mac users that hate me for one reason or another. Added no value. Added no value. Yeah, no value. There's no value and there's no insight. No. And, um, so I don't know what then I think they may kill it because one of the guys that consistently start sniping at maybe more than anyone is the editor in chief of the publication. <laughs> Every time he writes anything, they just slam him and yeah. he's got to be annoyed by it. Yeah. But uh, I was just uh, my real point of that article was that the media has been giving Google a free ride uh, in terms of their coverage of the company. Uh, they're, they they never really get into any in-depth what's Google really up to. Google's very secretive about a lot of stuff. Nobody digs into it. Nobody tries to find Thank out. Thank you. This is, this is what I wanted to say is that if you really dig into what Google is doing, they control the buy and the sell side. You know, they control this entire system. They're continuously tweaking the system to do one thing, and it's to generate more money. And, you know, it is a black box. You don't know exactly what you're getting. Uh, it's clearly still working. But, you know, where is the you know, where are people delving into how this AdSense actually works? You know, you can kind of figure out what's going on and how, you know, it's an auction bid based system for AdWords. You know, we use it quite a lot to market our programming. And, you know, you can uh, you can get certain you know, they even have teams who will you help desk You can call, you know, if you're if you're a big, uh, a big client and they'll help you tweak it. You know, it is their job to, to make you to make more money and thus more money for them. But they control every single aspect, John. They've got. Yeah, a, no, I know it's 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 unbelievable. And, you know, I, I wish I had this guy's name uh, handy, but I has had sat down and had lunch with the guy who invented that system. Uh, AdSense? Uh, yeah, it was actually another, it was outside, Google had bought it from these guys, and this was one of the original engineers. And he gave me a couple of, and I'm going to have to track him down now, but he gave me, interestingly enough, a couple of real in, uh, cool inside tidbits uh, that allow you to not game the system, but to exploit it in ways that very few people do. He says he knows a few companies that do it. Uh, but he, uh, it, and it was quite fascinating. But this guy would be, the, this well, is the guy I'm, that, I'm, that, I'm, I'm that, that Yahoo should have gone out and hired. I don't understand, you know, Yahoo and Microsoft and well, these other guys. Didn't they buy that from Yahoo? Isn't that what, uh, didn't Google buy... Um, Am I thinking Overture? No, well, they bought a bunch of stuff from Yahoo, but this this specific was thing was a standalone system that Google bought from these guys, and uh, there were I don't know I don't remember the story anymore because this was like over a couple at least two two years ago maybe longer, and um, but the point is that I, I just sitting there talking to the guy because he was in some other company now doing something, and uh, this is how much this is my memory by the way going on me I guess have I another army yacht from nineteen hundred. <laughs> I can't remember anything. So anyway, this is why, I'm, uh, by the way, this is one of the reasons I'm such a good uh, uh, guy for like blowing out uh, uh, insider, inside stories. Because you, well, you don't remember who you're supposed to be protecting. Exactly. This guy says, look, you, I'm going to tell you this, but if I get if I get caught, you know, if you ever tell me, you know, and I say, go ahead, tell me, because, you know, about two hours from now, I'm not even remember I had this conversation. <laughs> Do you remember any of the tricks that he, that he gave for gaming the system? <laughs> 
Yeah, I do, but I'm not going to talk. I don't have the, enough details, but I can just say it wasn't gaming the system. It was like it was actually gaming the way it's presented to the reader. In right. other words, you know, on that right. little side, it says, you know, if you're interested in corpses, find them on eBay. <laughs> you know, you here. see that there's a way of there's a way of of, of changing the wording that customizes almost oh, more closely okay. to right. the, what the reader's right, looking right. for. Well, they're doing anyway. a lot of work on that now where vacation um, they're doing more broader. So vacation will automatically trigger trip and air travels, all kinds of stuff that they're doing. Well, it's a, it's an interesting situation with that. But you, but the the thing that fascinates me the most about any of this is that the guys like this guy, who's I'm talking to him, why is he not working for a huge million bucks a year for Microsoft, or why isn't you know Yahoo uh, hiring him, and why isn't Microsoft trying to copy everything Google does, but they don't really find any way to get a hold of these executives who know how to do all this stuff? I, it's just baffling to well, me. Well, I would say there's uh, one of two, re- one of three things: either A, he is, and we just don't know about it; B, he's building his next thing to flog off to someone, or C. Uh, he's incredibly wealthy and cannot compete in that arena after they bought the company from him. No, I I, I think that the latter thing for sure because yeah. they they always have a non a non compete, but the non competes end after two years. Hmm. And usually, generally speaking, in the valley, what these guys do is they yeah okay so they sign the non compete and assuming it's even enforced half the time it's not because it's like you know who because these companies move on they got a right to work speaking. state and all kinds of stuff it's very yeah, hard to so enforce it's, it's very hard to, to enforce but but let's say they, they, they do enforce it I the gut, person A gets a non-compete for two years sells the company does whatever he does it goes immediately to somebody else and starts working on a new project it's going to take two years at least to complete yep. so, so the non-competes are not that important but I get to my sense is not what you're saying as the reason my sense is that these other companies just do not dig hard enough at finding competent people to do what they want to do i just think that they do a crappy job of it i know microsoft has got a not invented here generally speaking strategy and they mm-hmm. always try to do everything in-house and when they do get somebody from outside like when they got david cutler to do, my, to do windows nt yeah you know, that was, that was a like OS. a big deal yeah that was a great os by the way nt yeah, it was. In fact, the, the guts of it are still running things mostly. But yeah. you know, the, the but Windows 2000 is always still perceived as the the best best thing yeah. the Microsoft ever did. Yeah. But anyway, so but it's just baffling to me that there's not more. Uh, you know, they just hire people based on their resume. I mean, they don't really go after these guys who are the superstars. At least as far as I can tell. Yeah. So not only do the Companies suck. The journalists suck, and hey, everyone kind of sucks. <laughs> and they're all making money. Yeah. Hold on a second. We got a we got a very important comment, John. Hi, Adam. Hi, John. Okay, I've let it go on too long. The first couple of times you mentioned it, I let it go. But you guys keep talking about tea, and hearing two Americans talking about tea, it's like the blind leading the blind. Let's get a few things straight. First of all, PG Tips is not good tea, even the PG Tips Gold. It's soft southern Jesse tea, and it's too weak. You want to get some proper tea, that's either Tetley or Yorkshire tea. And the next thing is, I hear today you've been talking about putting milk in before the tea bag or 
or sugar in before the tea bag. Oh my God! Just <laughs> step away from the tea bags, take a deep breath, and learn how to make tea properly. You put the tea bags or the tea into a teapot. You pour hot water, boiling yeah. hot water, onto the tea bags or the tea. You make the tea in the teapot, and then you put the milk in the cup. You put the tea from the teapot all into right, the all cup. Right, on kill top this of the guy. He's almost done. Hey, you know, here's a it. guy that sugar. obviously wasn't listening to the show because I was complaining about putting the milk in first, and I was aghast at the fact that people were doing it. So now he's accusing us of suggesting that we do that. It's a complete bias the Brits have against the Yanks, man. They hate oh, us. This guy, this guy's an idiot. Now, now, <laughs> now, now besides that, let's. I got a letter here from a Michelle Gleave. This is actually more interesting than him. Okay. Uh, mainly because he obviously wasn't listening in, uh, and 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 Tetley tea is not that good. But I whatever. I agree. Anyway. I like so, my PG okay. tips. Uh, well, you know, everybody, that's the most popular tea in England. I, I guess all the Brits are wrong. Yeah. But anyway, let's go read this note. But this was actually kind of sh- shocking. And this came from an American, too. Uh, true. She said something about true, true. Steeping completely depends on the brand. PG tips is strong enough after 30 seconds. What? But Marks and Spencer, that's what she says. But Marks and Spencer needs a bit longer, etc. There's nothing worse than when the tea bags have sat and stewed for too long. Yuck. Although I, I let mine go for you know days. It was probably an American who did the milk steeping thing. No, it wasn't. No. Talk to a German and they'll look at you like you're insane for adding milk to any kind of tea, blah, blah, blah. Uh, anyway, she, she's probably a- one of those women who has the big gigantic teacup with a tea bag hanging out, walking around the office all day. The kind I can't I see it. I'm reading her stuff. I can't tell if she's in English. She's got a. I, uh, that sounds totally American to me. Uh, she doesn't sound like the 30 second thing. Well, you know, maybe she doesn't really like tea because 30 seconds is like, holy crap. My son, who who's a big tea connoisseur, uh, he, uh, he says that there's a bunch of documents that say that in at three at the three minute mark is when you should pull it out because you get like, you know, thing. he's got <laughs> a timer, you know. And, but then, but then here's something I see all Brits do. They'll, they take the, because of course the tea bags here in the, in the UK have no string. I just want to point that out. They are basically right. sacks or pods or pads or whatever. Or a Um, pyramid. Or a pyramid, right. I will see them take the spoon and squeeze the tea bag against the side of the cup with quite a bit of force and then take (laughs) it out. I do that, but I use my hands. I'm like, you know, Uh, I squeeze it with uh, my fingers because uh, I got the grip. Really? (laughs) I'm I'm a spoon guy. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I just reach in there, grab it, throw the thing in the sink. Of course you do. In the sink. In the sink. For what? For Mimi to clean it up later? Is that what you do? No, we got a garbage disposal. Things go in there. You hit it. Boom. It's Uh. just tea. You know, come on. (laughs) Yeah, it goes in the sink. Garbage disposals rock. You know, in Berkeley, they're illegal. (laughs) <laughs> they're outlawed I, you have... they are they're illegal they, they're, not, they're not good for the uh, echo culture what kind, so. of, what kind of bs is that well let's not even get into it i don't want a shitload of email talking about how we're killing the planet with our garbage disposals yeah well i, I don't think yeah, i, I want by the way i got one more letter from a guy this is we were talking about wine earlier i thought he says he, he liked our show last wednesday i don't know i guess he doesn't understand this comes out when it comes out <laughs> that's uh, why he listened to a, it I have a quick question since I need advice from an expert. That must be me. Mm. What wine goes well with pasta? Anything. Yeah. I'm looking at it. But then he says, I'm looking at to up to $100. Holy Whoa. crap. You can get something so for five, seven say, bucks. $100 wine. With a screw top. You know, if you pasta, you know, I would always like to match it to Italian wine with it. And I would start looking. For, start Chianti? Start 
checking out well no i would actually go up scale a little bit and then you get these rosso de montachinos which are uh kind of the second wines of brunello which are like better than chiantes and not as good as brunellos but probably almost as good and, and drinkable more soon can you uh, uh spell the name of that wine so it's just bump- rosso r-o-s-s-o meaning red wine d-d-i montachino m-o-n-t-a-l-c-i-n-o and i'm pronouncing it with no italian accent obviously because i don't speak italian yeah but anyway that wine generally speaking whenever you see one especially on a wine list Tends to be usually well priced, and uh, they'll they'll get some respect from the wine stewards if you know what that wine is. And uh-huh. I've never really had a bad one. And he'll Not get sure laid for sure, day. right? Because he'll impress. And they're you know you can get them for twenty bucks, and they're very tasty. Did I tell you? Um, uh, you remember uh, earlier? I think it was maybe it was last week. Uh, YouTube went down for two hours because Pakistan blocked. You know, I never followed up on that to find out what happened. How did that? How did Pakistan, by blocking YouTube, actually bring down the system? Well, I can't explain that part, but I will tell you this. The Dutch press, is, and I'll just say that in general, is claiming that the reason that happened is, um, I think I've told you about the uh, anti, anti-Koran movie that uh, this Dutch politician is planning on, uh, planning on releasing. We blogged it. Oh, right. We, that's exactly right. Wilders is his name. Geert Wilders. Uh, he's from the uh, PVV party or the party of uh, something freedom. And um, the, so the story is, is that they shut off YouTube because they thought that he was going to release this week and they, they blocked all traffic. They intended to apparently only block traffic from uh, from wherever that guy's uh, um wherever he was going to upload or something like that. But essentially it was, they're claiming that it was was, the reason they shut it down is because of this movie. They thought it was coming out. Well, how did they make, you know, is this like a cheap bunch of Christmas tree light bulbs? You know, the internet, I'm telling (laughs) you. Yeah, well, it is. It's have you ever been to Dubai uh, as an example? I went to Dubai. um, uh, The three of us stayed at uh, at that ghastly hotel, um, the Burj Al Arab. Um, that big one yeah which is you know great for a day and a half but you know we booked it for like a week and we were just bored stiff but anyway um there's nothing to do there's nothing to do except spend spend money yeah good good food i will say good food oh yeah um but anyway um you know so you get internet access uh, in the room and, you know, and I couldn't get to a whole bunch of sites. And, you know, I, I asked a couple of people and I started to investigate a bit. And, uh, you know, for Dubai, there really is like a big gateway and it goes through one huge router, I guess. And there probably is only one ISP there anyway. Um, and they determine what you can and cannot go to and can and cannot see. Yeah, I know they do that in the in the Middle East a lot. I'm always checking with uh, I have a, a, a some uh, associates that are in the, in Dubai and elsewhere. So I have a guy in China, and I'm always asking to make sure that the uh, that the Dvorak.org slash blog is showing up because yeah. I'm always concerned about it. Because we were cut off in the Middle East about two years ago for a month or two, and I always felt it was because we have a lot of critical articles about you know uh, terrorism, and I thought maybe that was it, but it turned out to be. Uh, I forgot what the reason was, but it was some some minor thing that was fixable, and it got fixed, and we're back up. Hmm. I'm always quite proud when uh, you know we've uh, we've been uh, you know at, at banks many times, um, 
in these types of uh, legal and financial offices. And I'm always quite happy when, you know, you can't get to YouTube, you can't get to MySpace, can't get to Facebook, but Podshow pops up quite happily. You know, it's really cool. Yeah, no, that's, I, I you never know why they're cutting these various uh, sites off. I mean, what's, what, What's well, the big deal I, I would uh, I would say the video clip of TSA gangsters uh, would be one reason <laughs> for it to be cut off. That's the one I showed you in the office. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that would be uh, bad. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but the uh, I, Facebook. I mean, what's I don't know because it's a time waster. That's why people just sit there all day Facebooking. Well, maybe. And I can I see can't. it. Yeah, I know you don't have, or maybe you, I have a Facebook account. Really, the only reason I, I have it is so that that's the, my, my daughter doesn't do email anymore, which is very interesting. Now, Facebook has its own email messaging system. And so you can either write something on each other's wall, which is kind of like a public posting place, um, or you can send email. And she, you know, if I send her email, she, I know her email address. She just doesn't respond. If I send her a Facebook message, and then to her is her protected environment, right? She can kick anyone off. She, she only receives messages from people she wants. And if someone wants, it's very interesting, this. If someone wants to send her a message, and you know, then they have to friend her first. And they have to either give, give a good enough reason, or she has to know them. And then you can receive the messaging. So I, well, I think, how is this any different than AOL Messenger, or MSN Messenger, or AIM, or whatever these none, other IM systems none, are? None, What's none. the difference? Well, the only no, there's no difference except that obviously the email client that's built into Facebook, you know, has email type uh, properties. You know, IM kind of scrolls and it's gone. And if you log out, you may not be able to see your previous uh, messages that were incoming. So it has more of a permanent message uh, structure and, uh, and, you know, the, well, all the other Skype, stuff. With Skype, which yeah, Skype is smart. Yeah. yeah. But, I, but uh, you can click on something and get all the messages you've ever sent to that person. Yeah, but it's... Uh, it's not good enough for for structured following threads and stuff, and you know you'll you'll miss things, and there's always idiots you don't want to read their stuff, and maybe you miss something important. I don't know. I it's not quite the same. It, 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 the email archive structure is just different than uh, than I am. But I do like Skype when you reconnect. It's uh, uh, if someone's of course sometimes it's confusing. You know, reconnect after a ten hour uh, plane flight. And then bloop, 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 all these messages come in. I'm like, oh, um, let me look for that document. And it turns out they sent the message, you know, 15 hours earlier. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's like the, the, the uh, Verizon uh, messaging system. Every once in a while, I get a message, a, a text message from you that's like two days old. Yeah, two old. days old. Uh, that, believe me, that's AT&T, not Verizon, dude. I'm sorry, AT&T, yeah, right. A, AT&T is lame that it's, way. It's very inconsistent. Sometimes it's like bang, bang, bang. You can actually have a, almost like an IM conversation with somebody with with text messages. And then sometimes they just never show up for days. Well, that, gar- just, that it, guaranteed delivery, which, of course, what SMS really is, uh, you know, is, is built on. You can even get a delivery notification report automatically. The system is uh, set up for that. I think most carriers will let you do that. Uh, it's very disconcerting to me that, you know, I'm totally thinking I sent you a message. <clears throat> I think it was a back and forth. We had one or two messages and uh, then I didn't hear from you. You know, I'm like, oh, and, and it's worrisome. And now that I know that these messages sometimes just don't arrive, you know, my trust is kind of waning on it. Yeah, no, it's it's disconcerting to say the least. And it's like, you know, and, and what's weird about it, sometimes you get, to, like I, the one I think I got the last one from you. In fact, I sent you some messages I never heard back. I figured they're just Same lost. Same thing, lost, I'm sure, yeah. And, and so I got this message out of which, oh, call me now, you know. It's like some call me, what the hell does he want me to call him for? You know, it's like 10 at night on Thursday. <laughs> and so I'm looking and I, and I, 
re- and I track it. It's like a message that was sent two days earlier. Yeah, yeah, uh, know, that sucks. And I'm sure you know the big problem with AT and T is roaming internationally. My voicemail never works. Um, you know, so when I'm over in the UK, if you call, I mean, I, it doesn't matter because I don't care about voicemail, and, and actually, I'm quite happy it doesn't work. But what what you get is. Um, uh, the caller you've called is unavailable. Uh, please, or even, not even that. It's like, please enter mailbox number. No, <laughs> right. how, what? Well, I don't know. What is the mailbox number? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah, I know. I've heard that because I call you every once in a while on the phone when you're over there because you have a local number in the Bay Area. So I'll call it and, I, and I'll get like, yeah, the guy's not here. I enter mailbox number. So what? And just then punch the some shit in and see what you get. Well, you get nothing. Oh. And then I've done it. And then you get then the the, other, the alternative message with somebody with a deep British accent says, uh, "Enter the phone number to which you'd like to send a message." So you have to redial the number, which I don't usually know because it's on speed dial. It's just a number yeah, on my in phone. the address book. You know, yeah, Adam, Bing, yeah. you know, because that's the way most people use cell phones now that you have the numbers and so you can, you'd have to you know scramble around to get the number, which you can't do without hanging up generally. Yeah, and so it's like. <laughs> Uh, you on your on your can, Nokia E sixty one, you have you can actually you know you just hit the uh, address book button. It's well, on this quick. one, I, the button there the, on the one I have, if oh. it, it the where the address book button normally is, I suppose I could scroll to it somehow. But it's normally it turns the loudspeaker on and off. Being oh, uh, you so, can, yeah, you can reconfigure those buttons so it so that it. Uh, well, I who would think to need to next? Well, but, the, it, but you're hitting the wrong one. In the middle, you have your joystick, and then you have two little buttons. Uh, to the left and to the right of the joystick. So the one to the furthest left is a little address book icon. I think that one is, you can't even reprogram it. So you should be able to hit that one. You probably have yeah, the other How button. How about this for an idea? <laughs> they should fix their crappy system. <laughs> Why should they put all the work on me? I'm not their accountant. <sighs> Dude, speaking of which, you know, I, I had my, uh, my typical Saturday morning, uh, not bagel, as Leo incorrectly said, but I was, you know, kicking back, drinking some tea, reading the Financial Times. Man, you know, I, I'm you may I'm sure you're aware of it, but um, you know, having been in the states for two weeks, it's just you know, it's it's not common knowledge. But this problem with the banking system, which of course is all about credit and debt, uh, you know that that's what banking is. Um, every single bank in Europe is now throwing out these huge um, write-offs. You know, two billion here, two billion in in Switzerland. Uh, you know, of course, there was a problem with with France uh, Société Générale. Um, well, they went. Was, yeah, they were. They're, they're totally toasted. But but the rogue trading, it's all the same stuff. What I think is happening, John, is because it's not like oh, this is because of just bad. You know, mortgages, subprime mortgages. Now, this is much, much deeper. All these guys are fucked up. Everyone's been lying. They they figure we might as well throw it all out now because, of course, they're discovering this stuff. And whether it's right, a road it trader, they're all and they're popping it everywhere, man. It's unreal. Every single Royal Bank of Scotland, uh, you know, huge billions of pounds of write down. Everyone is is just saying, uh, let's get rid of it. CEOs are resigning, getting fired left and right. It is pandemonium. You know, I was looking at, uh, in fact, I was looking at some bank stocks thinking, 
that I knew this was coming. I was thinking maybe there's some good, you know, puts and calls here, puts mainly yeah. to, you know, and, uh, puts I is looked an, at all puts these is an charts option. These guys are, it's already done. I mean, UBS, you know, the one of the biggest banks in Switzerland is already down by 50%. I yeah. mean, how much further down is it going to go? These yeah. stocks are all be getting pounded. It's amazing. So what's happening now, and I predicted this on one of our first shows, the sovereign wealth funds are bailing all these guys out. And what's happening is it's a much, much cheaper now to go raise some, and not just cheaper, and we'll get to another one of your favorite topics. It's much easier to go raise money from these sovereign wealth funds, which are now in the 2 to $3 trillion range of how much money is out there. This is China. This is the Middle East. Um, it's, uh, you know, that, that, that kind of money. And wait, 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 back up a second. So, so, I don't, I, I, I don't know why, but I haven't heard this term. What does it mean? Uh, it's like you, a private no. equity companies or what no, I mean? no, no. It's so the country puts a fund together, a sovereign country, wealth like, fund, like China. Dubai. Yes. Dubai and China, they literally set up a fund and you can imagine a country, you know, you can get a, a trillion bucks together pretty quickly if you're China. And they are now investing in every single one of these banks. So all these banks are doing emissions, all kinds. And, and what's turning out is it's much more cost effective and much, uh, much easier, of course, with Sarbanes-Oxley uh, than uh, doing an IPO in the U.S. In the U.K. now, this non-domiciled tax issue, along with some other taxation uh, things that are changing, is, is literally in the Financial Times today being called the Sarbanes-Oxley of, of the city of London. So now all these banks that need the dough, because you know that's really what these IPOs are you know, about raising money is all about, they're all going to take money from China. I mean, we're, we're owned. We're biatches, man. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> What's funny about it is like, you know, this is where privatization always ends up. Some other government, instead instead of your railroads being owned by your government and controlled by the locals, they get privatized. And then the next thing you know, they're owned by China. Yeah, well, Heathrow is already, you know, the BAA, British Airport, whatever it is, is owned by a Spanish company. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's nuts. It's absolutely well, nuts. And I think it, uh, this is... It's just starting, you know, but you're not seeing the headlines. I'm sure of it. In the U.S., you're not seeing the headlines. And no, they don't. We, you know, the problem with the, yeah, we don't get the right news feed, generally speaking, as a country. We, you know, because our local reporters or their local media, local meaning, you know, like the New York Times, Washington Post, any of them, uh, they just, I don't know what they're thinking in the, in the editorial meetings. You know, they, in a newsroom, you have a big meeting every day of all the, you know, all the uh, city desk editors and all these guys get together around the big table with the editor-in-chief, and they start calling out what the paper's going to look like for that next edition. You know, what's going to be on the front page and what's hot and what's not, what's what, what's coming up. And they make the decisions in that room, and I don't know what if they're what because, the deal is. Because, it, it, if it, look. It's you, a lot of Britney's. Oh, is Britney on the news there today? You you go, know, Britney there or, you go. What about Clemens? You think Roger Clemens is, <laughs> is using steroids? Can we run that in front? If it leads, it bleeds, baby. You know the rule. Well, or yeah, but bleeds, Clemens is bleeding. Yeah, if it bleeds, it leads. I'm sorry. Fucked it up. Yeah, same thing. So, um, but I'm, I am a little bit hurt that you never heard the term sovereign wealth fund because I remember I had did this whole rap about it. You laughed oh, this at is the me. Way, yeah, but that's because this is what you were so deeply into something or other that this was is killing it. me. I, this I, is I had it. to tell you to stop. This is the one. Learn. Yeah. Well, now I'm more interested. <laughs> hey, John. It's timing. <laughs> Blow me. All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot, timing. pal. <laughs>
timing. <laughs> oh, you're so happy when you're calling something early. Isn't that what, isn't that what journalists do? Oh, well, I said this in 1912, and uh, you know, I, I was right. That. A lot of people do that constantly. It's very annoying to read You do, you do that. You do I've that. never done it. I rarely do it. You do Once it constantly. What are you talking about? No. You always no, say, no. you all, you put it differently, though, but you'll say, I, uh, I, wrote, I wrote about this six months in my Market Watch column. John, you always say these things. I only say it to, to, to for clarification. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing me, baby. You're killing no, I'm me. telling you, I only uh, say it for clarification or to 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 assure someone that I, you know, because I may be part of a premise. It's got nothing to do with the way most of these guys do it. Was well, I was right again. <laughs> oh, I on, predicted last Adam week that I'd write another column this week, and here it is. Uh, listen to this. Adam and Dvorak. Here's a message for you guys. Christian Levitown. There actually is stuff still made in America. It's hard to find, but it's there. There's a fantastic television program on the Travel Channel. I'm pretty sure it's Travel Channel. It's called John Ratzenberger's Made in America. Have you seen that? I haven't seen that show. Uh, you know, I think I may have seen it a couple of times. It's mostly about candy manufacturing, if I'm not well, mistaken. Well, I've been keeping my eye on it. And uh, so, first of all, I, I did come up with something that is iconic, although completely unimportant for uh, gross domestic product. You know, they, we still make Harley Davidson. <laughs> And yeah, and you know that that would have been, by the way, for you investors out there, would have been a great investment during their the period of time when they were about to go out of business. When they were AMF uh, Voigt, remember that when they changed a Voigt company or something? That was horrible. Yeah, they, they made shitty yeah. bikes like the Sportster. You you're not a motorcycle guy, are you? I used to have a bike. Yeah, and you remember the Sportsters? Yeah, I didn't think they were that bad. They were fine if you if you put you know uh, a teardrop tank and a nice seat and everything yeah you could customize them all right yeah i'm more of a fat boy type guy oh you like those big yeah uh, yeah, hogs as they like to call them yeah you know those big ones that that all the uh okay the hog is awesome yeah yeah. those are the guys um, here's here's another thing to add a little bit to uh to what we were talking about last week uh eads yeah that's the um, the company that makes airbus Right. They were just, I'm sure you read this, that they were awarded a 58, no, 35 billion pound contract to create uh, super tankers for the U.S. uh, forces. Over Boeing. Yeah, uh, over Boeing. So Boeing lost out. Yeah, 35 billion pounds. So it's $70 billion. I wonder what that's all about. Why are we buying European products from the United States when they're obviously overpriced because of the value of the dollar? doesn't make any sense it makes no sense i'm i i totally agree so it has to be politics it's got to be some reason politics has got to be corruption there's no reason for this kind of a well, deal we should be buying only boeing products isn't because that synonymous? of the do- value of the dollar it costs a buck 50 to buy a euro now 151 lowest ever in history the lowest of the dollar ever yes yeah lowest value of the dollar in history yeah and so now we're buying European products with that low dollar, and we got a company called Boeing. This is a fucking outrage. Yeah, this Doesn't pisses me sense. off. I, I haven't read the article yet, but I'll look into it and uh, find out what's going on. Someone pulled a boner on that one. I agree. The U.S. should be outraged. It's for our own military-industrial complex. It doesn't make sense. I'm going to have to start blogging. You know what it could maybe be? It, write it up. Maybe it's um, maybe it's uh, what we call a Wiedergutmacher. Or and otherwise, uh, uh, kind of a makeup for um, for you, you know. Remember, um, there was the big dispute about uh, government um, subsidy for the creation of 
the big, you know, the new Airbus and Bo- and the U.S. said, well, you know, we're still going to support Boeing. And they had that whole anti-competitive thing and everyone was pissed off about it because, you know, uh, countries aren't supposed to support their um, their air, uh, aircraft manufacturers. Does that ring any bells with you? Yeah, vaguely. But, you know, there, there, there's always there's been a bone of contention on both sides for since the beginning of this little battle. So what I'm saying is companies. maybe they let them have it. Maybe they said, here, you guys take that and we'll take something else. Maybe there was that kind well, of maybe. scale of deal on the, in the yeah, back Yeah, they may have done a deal where, you know, we bought a bunch of their crap and then they bought a bunch of our stuff. This reminds me of like the freeway around here. I'm, you know, the freeway, the traffic in the Bay Area has gotten so bad. I, you know, I go to uh, San Francisco in the morning and it's crowded. Actually, in the afternoon, it's even worse. It, like if I wanted to go to San Francisco at three o'clock, it's just as hard to get there as it is at eight in the morning. And I'm looking, I'm seeing traffic stop dead at three or four or five in the in the afternoon going both ways. So obviously people are commuting in both directions at the same time. Why don't they just move to the other location? It, it just, you know, it's just something about the redundant, you know, there's like, this guy's coming to San Francisco to come over to here to work, and I'm going from here over to San Francisco. Why don't we just change houses? So, I mean, a, sw- so a I mean, derivative, a swap. A swap. <laughs> so that's what I'm – possibly this is what's going on with this plane deal. But it's still – you know, it, it shouldn't be sitting – It's wrong. It's wrong. So, yeah. Um, you were harping uh, uh, most of the past two weeks that I was uh, in the office – about uh, and I've heard you on a couple of other shows talking about uh, you know the Nelly Smith Cruz, uh, who of course is the EU uh, competition uh, guru czar, and um, you know how Microsoft of course received this you know uh, billion dollar more than billion dollar fine. It's uh, it's pronounced Nelly, right? It's Nelly. That's her first name, and her last I name Nelly. I guess that's yeah, wrong. Nelly. Uh, Nelly. Okay, Nelly. Like in, like, like, in, like in Nail Her, only Naily. And then Smith Cruz is uh, hyphenated. So it's Sierra Mike India Tango, Smith Cruz. Oh, it's Smith. Smith Cruz. And that's Kilo, Kilo Romeo Oscar okay. Echo Sierra. Smith Cruz. Naily Smith Cruz. Yeah, try the Cruz with a rolling R. Cruz. Naily Smith Cruz. Not to don't put the in there. It's Nelly Smith Cruz. I'm sorry, I blew it. I I'm trying to help you. Now you'll get that. It, you know, it's cool. Nelly, when you... Nelly Schmidt. No, see, I'm, see, I keep wanting to say Schmidt. No, she's not Nelly Schmidt. Smith. Smith Cruz. Yeah, but but you got to connect the Smith Cruz into kind of like one. Nelly Smith Cruz. There you go. Fantastic. The, the crowd, crowd goes wild. I'll, I'll work on it. But anyway, so Naley uh, was, <laughs> Naley. I was reading a couple articles, and one of the things I was I didn't quite rave about rave about was the fact that I was reading an article in one of the business journals saying, "Well, when she got the job, they expected her to be a pushover, and she was like weak person, and she was always pro business, so this was a big shock to everybody." But meanwhile, we had talked about her, and you always said she was a hard ass from the beginning. She is. So, I mean, you know, it's, she's so hard ass. I, I, it turns me on. I find, I can't help but find her sexy. So what is the, why, why was this analysis so wrong by all these journalists that keeps saying that she was supposed to be a soft touch? Because a she's a woman, because she's a woman, I'm sure dickhead journalist. And they, and they didn't do any research into the shit. She's, she's done a lot of heavy shit. I mean, if you just Google her, Hey, a journalist, I got an idea. Google look for some shit anyway my question to you my friend 
Um, who actually collects that money and where does it go? <laughs> because it doesn't, you know, she, doesn't she get a piece of it? <laughs> <laughs> because the yeah, obviously um, the reason for, you know other companies were at a disadvantage, so you, you know these companies were disadvantaged, and ultimately the consumer, of course, is disadvantaged. That's why this exists. Um, but where does that money go? It's you know the same thing. Like um, I heard that a couple record labels are now suing the RIAA because they want to know, oh, not record labels, um, uh, artists and their managers. Because you know they see all this money being collected. You know, there's definitely millions of bucks from infringements and all these lawsuits. Yeah, from kids. Where's the money going? Well, that's a damn good question. Because they don't, they say they don't see it going down to the artists, you know, and they're looking at the statements. So, like in Europe, where does that money go? Does it go into one big pot, you know, and and then what? You know, who gets it? Does the consumer ever really get it? I mean, that's what I want. What like I'd like to know. I'm going to find out. That's I got a column. The title I got the column already. Show me the show money. Show me the money. I love it. Now you don't have to write it. Now that we have a title, that's so cool. That's true. Now it's done. <laughs> ah, that's a callback for you people out there. Uh, so here's the story of the week. How much time we got left, by the way? We have, uh, I think we have time for the story of the week. So I'm watching a, uh, there was a shooting in Berkeley. Uh, uh, some black policeman shot a black woman uh, who had a knife to somebody's throat. And, but everybody's up in arms about this because, you know, it's certainly, a you, certainly you mean African-American, uh, John. Well, whatever. But the, but we, there was a, so they had a big fuss over the city council and they were blaming everybody for being a bunch of racists, you know, even though the guy was black, I don't know. But there was an interesting new term that cropped up and I'm always on the lookout and I listen to like free speech TV and, I, I listen to right-wing talk shows, left-wing talk shows. I li- listen to, to, to the extremes to look for new buzzwords that they're going to try to slip into the public consciousness so people all of a sudden all start thinking along some line of thought. And I'm always reminded of uh, Bill Moyers, who gave a speech uh, to a bunch of uh, left-wing, literally left-wing journalists at some conference. Uh, and he was talking about how the Republicans are always making up words that they, you know, in terms that, you know, they try to exploit the dumb uh, Americans. But meanwhile, of course, the Democrats do even more of this, you know, with, and I mentioned to you a couple of my old favorites, like Gravitas and oh, yeah. Truth, Truth to Power is my all-time most recent Truth favorite. Truth to Power? What does that Truth mean? To Truth to power is a term that came up about, uh, I first heard it maybe two years ago, maybe three years ago, and it is a, um, it doesn't mean anything to me, but what it's supposed to mean, I think, is that uh, it's like you tell, you, 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 you confront the uh, power of what, it, you know, like the president, somebody who's actually the power or the CEO of a company with, with, with the raw truth. Yeah. truth. Right, and that, and and that beats power. And that's supposed to do something. I don't oh, know okay. why. Maybe uh, it's magical. It's like Harry anyway, Potter. It might be. Maybe it makes the guy disappear. Poof. <laughs> so um, the one I ran into is this woman who was complaining about this. And she was uh, you know, defending, I guess, the dead woman. And she says, she, makes the, she says the phrase, she says, well, as a skin-privileged white woman... <laughs> And so I heard, so I, as soon as I heard this, and I mentioned this to my wife, and she just lit up like I did, which is the word, the term skin, skin privileged, privileged, which which is actually a diminution. It's a, it's it's not a positive thing. It's like, oh well, you can say that because you know it would be used like this. Oh well, Adam, you can say that because, because you're, you're skin, skin privileged. privileged. Oh my gosh. 
And uh, I, when I, I mean, it just every, every it, it, bell and it appears, it appears, it, yeah. I'm just Googling it. It appears to be a derivative of white skin privilege. Um, there's a whole bunch of entries on, uh, on Google, a whole bunch of hits I'm getting here. Hmm. That's, that's messed up. So, but now it's being used in a very interesting context. Well, everything, you know, with the, this is the, you know, the, the modern, this is actually the modernization of the, of the, of the kind of epithets against quote unquote old white men. Oh, so it's, uh, it's politically incorrect to say old white men. You now you have to say skin privileged, uh, aged no, gentlemen. Poli- no, I don't think it's politically incorrect. I think it's not, uh, you know, it's not trendy. It's like, it's old fashioned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I guess would be in politically incorrect at some level because old fashioned, you know, you got to keep up with these terms. And so the new term would be skin privileged. That oh, means that you're God. hip, that you, you're using the right terminology that, that yeah. you, you know, most of these things are code. I've always found most of these kinds of terminologies, then they, when they come and go, if you, and you can listen to them and you can actually read them a lot of column. You know, if you see, for example, the word Chilling is always a word used by someone identifying themselves as a left-wing writer. So when I say uh, Sebastian Rupley is a show shill, then no, there's I'm no a codes there. Uh, <laughs> no, that, that's actually a, a that's a a, tr- a callback joke is what it is. That's what it is. But but there's there's code words that people use in their writing and they use in their speaking to identify themselves as part of a, a subculture club, like a, club, the, a right. gay that could be there's a lot of gay terms yeah, 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 and yeah. you know and things you can do there's a lot of left wing there's a lot of right wing stuff you can say mm-hmm. and you you run into these and and people sometimes don't even know they're in the milieu but they've adopted all these terms and you can identify them as being in the milieu even though they're not trying to make it clear a lot of people are trying to make it clear some people aren't milieu and is such fact, a nice word it reminds me of a, this is my last anecdote and before I bore everybody. Nah, stiff, no, no, I'm it, it reminds me of a situation that took place uh, some years ago when I was at, I was visiting Boeing and some guy had written something for uh, PC world, which was at the time a very politically correct operation. And, um, uh, the guy was a writer, and he's talking to me about some copy editing uh, issues that he had because he was uh, he got a, a, something that he wrote kicked back, uh, and the and the editor, a woman, said that he she wanted him uh, to use a term uh, uh, company spokesperson. Oh, instead of spokesman. No, instead of representative. Oh, that's interesting. that's what got me and i was baffled by this i said what what do you you know what's wrong with the word representative it's not it has no sexual connotations whatsoever well, no, no no it is different I, a representative and, well, and that's in fact that's what he asked him and she, and the woman copywriter says no you don't she says no she says we we use spokesperson because we don't want sexist language and he says <laughs> well rep, how's representative sexist she says you don't get it we use spokesperson to make it clear that we don't use sexist language. Jeez, unbelievable. And that was like, to me, was like the, you know, like, wow, this is... Well, I will will say, though, man, that's, you know, particularly when it comes to the sexual harassment horse crap, you know, and, you know, obviously there is a line where it is sexual harassment and where it isn't. But the lawsuits, particularly if you're a public company, you know, you got guys waiting outside just asking, hey, did anyone uh, make you present yourself as a representative? Mm, I think we can go make some money. I mean, that's that's the world we live in. Well, unfortunately, and a lot of that has to do with the uh, with the 
way the law is being interpreted. But anyway, but the, anyway, the point I was making is there's these code words all over the place. So whenever I hear one, because I'm always on the lookout for them, because I'm, you know, it's kind of what I do. And uh, so when the skin privilege one came up, I was just like, wow, this is one of the, this is a absolutely astonishing term to be floating around because it's just. It's so a, have just, you have I, you cracked the code of it? Do you think you know where well, it's coming from? I know what the from? code. I mean, the code is obvious. It means you're a, you're a, you're a progressive. Yeah, it means you. If, if you, you use that it, word, if you that use the you're word, identifying yeah. yourself as a member of the progressive movement within the Democratic Party, which is a you know kind of beyond liberal, but not anything like a neoliberal. You're not a neoliberal, which is a certain type of liberal, which is a, a, a globalist, and is a different and who are hated by these people. By the way, uh, you are a, a certain kind of progressive style, old fashioned, you know, 1930s borderline <laughs> socialist. Well, um, let me just say that as a skin-privileged man, I'm insulted by the term. (laughs) I am. Well, you should be. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. All right, my friend. That was good. That was fun. We had a lot to say, honey. (laughs) Please. You've taken your skin privilege to an extreme. There's got to be some other kind of... Sex privileged. Anyway. All right, one of the longest shows ever. Um, but I, 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 I don't. I, I, it's not your fault. You know. I, I think we do keep it rolling. Um, I had some thoughts about this. I was thinking, you know, maybe if we did talk to each other every single day, we could actually set a time limit. We could say, all right, we're going to talk for thirty minutes, and this is what we're going to talk about. But it's because you, we don't talk every day that all these this this gushing waterfall comes out. I think it's better. Doing it this way? The everyday thing, I think, if we had like a huge audience and we could monetize the show, yeah, we could do every day for a while till we got sick of it. But <laughs> I never the, get uh, sick of talking to you. That's Howard Stern's yeah. secret. He likes talking yeah, to those people. That's why, he, he that's why the talk. show works. So, uh, but the point is, is that, you know, people seem to like this longer format and uh, we can do it for, you know, as long as we can. We Maybe, you know, we might want to try the begging for money thing. That would be good. Leo <laughs> the Leo Laporte well uh, monetization system? Well, it seems to well this show, of course, public, it's, it's on public television. Does. It's unsponsorable. Yeah, it's un, well. Yeah, we should do a drive because this show is without a doubt unsponsorable. It just won't work. We could, I believe, that this type of show, if we got into people's main line and just looking at my ego filters and stuff that's getting trapped, I think we are. I, th- I think a lot of people are tapping in and they and they do find some time maybe on the weekend or Wednesday, um, <laughs> you know, to, to listen to the show and and they you know they they take their time with it and it just works for them. Um, I do believe that um, we could make this a four pay program. Could be, you know, like but- uh, like the Economist. Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, it's not that, you know, you know, the, it does work to a point. I don't know what Leo's numbers are because I know he begs for money, but I know he, they're good enough that he keeps doing it. And public television and, and public radio have, have made a career out of this. In fact, there's networks of these things, and they're just basically playing on people's guilt. Look, you like this show. Can you give us some money? We'll keep doing it. Well, they do it a little uh, differently. And- they do it a little bit differently because um, I know a lot – some friends of mine have done this. Yeah. Um, uh, have you ever seen um, they do the pledge drive and first they'll broadcast a concert and uh, oh, and then they well they don't always do that. Sometimes they do auctions no, they, too. But yeah, I know what you're saying. They, I hate that, by the way. They talk and talk and talk, or they show something and then they cut right into the middle of it and then make you watch for 15 minutes as they keep begging you for money. I'm not a big fan of that. Well, this uh, this Dutch guy, uh, for some reason, his name is just not popping into my head. 
uh, who, by the way, the entire Dutch show business uh, industry has laughed at for years. Um, he's making so much money with this kind of, uh, he has like 150 people. He's con- consistently on the road and it's a classical music concert, but really popularized and, and done as a fun, entertaining evening for everybody. You recognize all the songs. It's not stuffy. They, you know, they dress up in, um, in, um, in, the, um, the clothing from the 1800s, you know, and, and so <laughs> his show is one of these shows and he makes so much money from that because they're selling the, the DVD, you know, for a hundred bucks. Obviously most of that's going to NPR or whatever the, the public broadcast organization is, but he gets to pre-sell an incredible amount of these DVDs. It's just, it's bank. It's big time bank. Wow. So we could do that. Uh, or we could do, um, we could have what celebrities in also- a telethon. We could do a telethon. That would be fun. And actually, that might actually work. And it would be entertaining the way we'd do it. And there's also the opportunity for grants. I don't know that any podcasters have actually thought about getting getting, a grant. Hmm. Getting a grant from the Ford Foundation. Although I think in this case, you know, forget it. But it's always a possibility that some foundation would find this to be a something grant worthy. Huh. That's a good idea. Well, in the Netherlands. Actually, I do know there's this outfit called, um, oh man, my brain is mush today, Fab Channel, fabchannel.com. And if you uh, go look at Fab Channel, they got, I think, a couple million euros in seed money from the Amsterdam, uh, a grant from the Amsterdam municipality um, to record live concerts and put them on the internet, uh, concerts that are made either in the Paradiso, which is a famous venue, or the Milky Way, another very famous venue in Amsterdam. And now these guys have got some kind of deal with Universal and, uh, you know, but it started with a grant and they were in effect uh, podcasters. Huh. Yeah. Interesting, huh? That's a good yeah, idea. I'm actually uh, Googling that, see if anyone has thought of that. Uh, uh-huh. there, there must be tons of money out there. Well, there, there, I know there's tons of grant money. There's a, there's a, in fact, I did some research, uh, not for this particular thing, but on grants. And there's a, uh, there's a lot of online resources now. And then when you start looking into it, the, the, the amount of grant money out there is just out of this world. But there's a trick to it. It's called grantsmanship. And mm. grantsmanship is the ability to get the money. Yeah. Uh, oh, there are whole companies that you can hire to go get grants. I mean, this is big business. Yeah, it's a little different than than general than the normal salesmanship. Yeah, so it's uh, a lot of forms you got to fill out and a lot of promises you got to make, uh, but you can get the dough, and it's uh, pretty lucky. Here, a podcasting grant goes online. That's interesting. Huh. For schools, yeah, they got grants for schools, but then it's all like you know for equipment. That's not the same thing. It should be for content. No. It should be for content. You know, you know, we could talk to Naley about that. I'm sure there's some EU money floating out there that we can get our hands yeah. on. <laughs> yes, it just came in from Microsoft. <laughs> Give me that Microsoft check. Just sign your name on the back, Naley. Don't worry about it. We'll put it to good use. Right, but then people are going to hate us because they're, you know, they're, then we're making money off of this. And we're still going to do long-form no, you know format. What? That's bull. Nobody hates people for making money. Yes, they do. They hate me incessantly for making they money. They just hate you for other reasons. They don't care about I'm not about a likable guy. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, the, that's what you say, and that's what you, you play on and that's why they hate you it's not it's not the fact that you have a lot of money and i don't think people know how much money you have if they did then they would hate you but that's beside the point <laughs> thanks thank you my friend all right well let's think about that because i mean we don't need to do it now we we need a ton of listeners uh we need a lot more than oh, we yeah, have no, we now. need to get into the hundreds of thousands yeah. i think yeah we need a lot more so well, wait, let's ask the real listeners that do listen that eavesdrop hey tell your friends to listen to the show you know it's not going to kill them yeah really thank you 
That's our pledge drive for today. Tell your friends to listen. Put it on your blog. Twitter it. Please. Jaiku it. Pounce it. Dig it. Stumble upon it. You know any more? Reddit. Reddit. Ooh, good one. Good one. We had a huge hit on the blog last week from one Reddit thing. Is that uh, like a dig thing, Reddit? I've never really looked into it. It's something like it, but you know, the thing is, dig has been getting getting us, you know, we get these episodes where all of a sudden, boom, some crazy post has gotten to the attention of stumbled upon, dig, Reddit, or whatever. And right now, stumbled upon and Reddit give us much more, they give us stronger spikes than hmm. dig does. Really interesting. Because I yeah. hate you. Because uh, you don't know what you're talking about, and you don't like Max. <laughs> I mean, the, you mean the dig, uh, the dig, yeah, kids? the dig crowd, yeah, the dig kids. They hate you, man. <laughs> All right, John, let's wrap it up. The dog has been barking for the last half hour. He's hungry. He's pissed off at me. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you've been listening to No Agenda, um, coming to you from the Curry Manor in Guildford, Surrey, in the United Kingdom. I'm Adam Curry. And I'm John C. Dvorak. This has been the extended edition. I'm in Northern California. And we'll talk to you again next week on No Agenda.